Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And if you would take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to get there in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screens as well. And uh, you can follow along some notes if you want to on the back side of the bulletin that you received when you came in today. Uh, it's been a good week, and uh, I got to saw, had the privilege of seeing many of you this week at our Prime 29 gatherings. We're going to kind of give you an update on that next week. But just some really cool things that happened. And uh, for those of you that uh, weren't able to attend, if you want to get some information, there's some additional information at uh, guest services. And or if you were there and you took a financial commitment card and wanted to turn that in, you can do that uh, at guest services or in the offering, uh, whatever you'd like to do. But it was just a fun time. On Sunday night, uh, one of our staff, Kevin Gineer, uh came up to me and said, man, this is so much fun. Church on Sunday night. Brought back memories, and I said to Kevin, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, and Because uh, I grew up going to church, your church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the whole deal. I think I enjoyed like going out to eat afterwards. Sunday, I know that sounds a surprise to you. Afterwards on Sunday night, probably more than Sunday night. But anyhow, so uh, he was like, I'm just teasing with you, I'm just joking. So anyhow, not really funny. Okay. <laughs> Last week we started our series on uh, the blank canvas. And uh, just for those of you that may not have been here, to kind of recap, to bring us to the second part of this series, we walked through the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where um, we talked about all of us starting to life with a blank canvas, then life begins to happen, we make decisions, and out of those decisions, uh, we continue, we mess things up because we've got this disposition to sin in our spiritual DNA, and we make a mess out of things. And verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, but God will show up if we'll ask him. And we had that but God experience where God shows up and he does something that only he can do. And when he shows up and he does that, through his grace and through faith, God begins to come in and gives us a brand new blank canvas. And verse 10 says he does this for us because he's created us to be his workmanship. And that word workmanship means work of art. So God's given us this blank canvas so that he can create this work of art out of our lives in order to do and perform in us all these good works that he's got preordained for us to do. Now, this week I want to talk to you about what do you do uh, when you have a blank canvas. What, what happens with a blank canvas? How do you, what do you do with that? Because, again, I was raised in church, and I would hear pastors talk all the time about you need to do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. It was probably more don'ts than do. But it was, at the end of the day, it, 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 they never really told you how. They never really told you how do you do this. So I want to talk about what do you do when you get a blank canvas? What do you do when you have this God encounter, this God experience, and he wipes your sins away, and you've got this new fresh start? So in your notes, the first thing I want to remind you of is that a blank canvas sets you free. A blank canvas experience, it sets you free. Look at the first sentence of, of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. When you first read that, you think, well, that's kind of redundant. But what you need to understand and what we have to understand as we read this is that when the freedom of Christ comes in, that blank canvas experience, what it does for us is it sets us apart from sin and death, and it helps us live the life that God intended for us to live in the beginning. 
God sets you free, not so you go to more church, or not so you can hear more sermons, or not so you can do more Christian activities. God sets you free because he wants you to live this life of freedom. He wants you to love your mate. He wants you to, to love your kids. He wants you to enjoy your job. He doesn't want life to be this drudgery. He wants to set you free so you're free to live this life. And sometimes we think, oh, man, when I give my life to Christ, that's just when everything's going to end and everything's going to fall apart. No, that's when life begins. That's why Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, that Jesus Christ comes to give you life and life to the full. That doesn't mean everything's going to be good shift lollipop. That doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect and just all fall into place. But it does mean that God's come into your life to give you freedom. So, What do you do with a blank canvas? Well, there's two things we're going to talk about, two major things. The first thing is be faithful. When you've had a blank canvas experience, you need to be faithful. And there's a couple of things that come with being faithful. It's in your notes. The first thing is don't add to. Don't add to this blank canvas experience. Don't add to the grace of God. Don't try to put conditions on or or add to. Uh, Let's look at this in the, let's read the rest of verse 1 all the way through verse number 12. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that it's that you let yourselves, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all. He's going to talk a lot about circumcision. We'll explain that in a minute. Not circumcision, but why he's talking about it. It's okay. You can laugh. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. When he says law, he's talking about the Levitical law, the law of Moses, the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, you had to jump through a bunch of hoops and a bunch of things that you had to do in order to be right with Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, he came not to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law so that if you are saved through grace in him, which is how you receive salvation, that you fulfill the law because he fulfilled the law. So Paul's saying, don't get obligated to the law again. You've been set free from this. Verse number four. Who are are you trying to be justified by the law of being alienated from Christ? For you've fallen away from grace. Again, the grace of God and the law don't, don't, don't gel in that form. Verse five. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Remember, he's speaking here to the church of Galatia. So he's talking directly to them. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? Or that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch. It's kind of like a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Verse 10, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who has thrown you into confusion, confusion the law and grace, will pay the penalty, however, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, then why am I still being persecuted? Paul was not preaching circumcision, and there was issues with that. We'll explain that in a second. And in that case of the, uh, of the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Again, Paul isn't really a touchy-feely person. And uh, he pretty much tells you what he's thinking. Um, now, let's talk about this just for a minute. The issue here is, when we talk about don't adding to, it's a spiritual or a church word called legalism. It's, in your, it's, it's an ex-blank in your notes, legalism. And legalism is mixing the faith that you receive through grace when you're saved in Christ Jesus and mixing it with works. The law, the Old Testament, was all about works. You had to do all of these things. Jesus Christ comes in and he pays the price, period, so that you and I don't have to do anything else to receive salvation. 
Matter of fact, we read about last week in Second uh, Ephesians chapter Ephesians chapter two, verse verse number eight nine. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that now yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any one of you would, would would boast. It cannot happen by works. You cannot add to it. So what legalism says is, yeah, you're saved, but you need to do these things. Well, you're adding to the salvation experience. And church people, we're horrible at this because we, but because the Bible says that when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that He is, that you are saved. Period. No other questions. You don't have to be the member of a church. You don't even have to like the pastor. You, you simply are saved. Boom. Because Jesus paid it all. Period. In a discussion. What legalism says, yeah, but there's a couple of things you need to know and a few things you need to do. And if you'll do these things, then you'll really be okay. That's legalism. Don't add to the blank canvas experience. Now, the legalism, one of the legalisms, which is probably a pretty big one, uh, that was being dealt with in the first century was this issue of circumcision. That's why he brings it up. Because here's what was happening. According to the law, the Old Testament, the Levitical law, the law of Moses, all the same thing. According to the law, men or males had to be circumcised. And so they would circumcise all of their, 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 the boys. They, that just was part of the deal. It was part of the law. There's a reason for that. I don't have time to go into that today. Let's, I don't really want to discuss it. But, but they, they, they did, okay? So they would circumcise them. To the point that if you were to convert to Judaism, you would have to become circumcised if you were a male. Doesn't matter how old you are. So, needless to say, they didn't have a whole lot of converts. And so the reality is, is that it's okay, you're all thinking it. We're all grown adults here, okay? Church people crack me up. Okay, anyhow. So, that's what was happening. So... When Jesus Christ comes, into, comes onto the scene in the first century and pays the price, all of a sudden, the people that he's been really spending the time with have been Jews. But according to Scripture, the Great Commission is going to all the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria is where all the people that were half Jew, half Gentile lived, in the uttermost parts of the world. And a Gentile is a, is a biblical term basically used for people that are not Jews. So we're all, most of us in this room are Gentiles. And so if you were Gentile or you were uh, uh, intermarried with, a, with a, um, a Jew, a half Gentile, half Jew, you were just out there. So what happens is, but this gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, it's for everyone. So they began to, and you see Peter has this revelation on the house of Cornelius' rooftop in the book of Acts where God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. This gospel is for everyone. And so they began to reach beyond the Gentiles. And you read like the, of the Ethiopian that comes to faith in Christ. That was huge, one of the first Gentile converts. It's huge. And so Paul is preaching heavily to the Gentiles and reaching the Gentiles. And here was the problem. They were coming in and getting saved by grace through faith the same way you and I do. But these churches were saying, hey, by the way, if you're a male convert, you need to get circumcised. So on Saturday morning, we're going to do male circumcision. And these guys went, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody told me that this was all part of the conversion experience. This isn't Judaism. This is Christianity. What's the deal here? So they're like looking for a second opinion, right? You got it? You would be too. And so anyhow, so Paul goes, look, I have already explained this situation to you. We've already defined this in the, first, in the council of the first century church. That circumcision is a Jewish tradition according to the law. And Jesus fulfilled 
and paid the price. And for you to require Gentile converts to be circumcised is legalism. And you can't do that because you're adding to the cross. You're saying basically, yeah, you get saved by grace through faith, but you need also go and be circumcised. So Paul's already established this. And you can see it's coming back into the church in Galatia there when he goes, who cut in on you guys? Who, who changed your mind on this issue? I'm hearing rumors. What's going on here? That's why he's talking about this. Now, again, we do this in church all the time. We don't talk about circumcision, but, but we talk about this, this thing called legalism. That, yeah, you need to change this and change that and change this and change that and change this and change that. And um, we're adding to that experience. And so he says very carefully, don't add to be faithful. Now, he also says the second thing is don't take away. Don't take away. Let's read, let's read verse 13. My brothers, you are called to be free, so don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't use this freedom, this blank canvas experience that you've received, to, to basically indulge your sinful nature. So don't use this freedom in Christ as a license to sin. Don't use freedom in Christ as a license to sin. Don't say, well, since God is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, I go do what I want to do. I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. I can drink until I'm drunk. I can go do anything I want to do because I'm no longer under the law. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And this is becoming a big resurgence in our culture uh, today in the 21st century of, of, of people, of, of even church saying, hey, you know, there's freedom, man, there's no boundaries, there's no law. And what's happening is it's, it's knocking all of the things down that have been guidelines and just turning into a swamp, basically. And, and so that there's, it's just, it just lets it just, whatever, man, I'm free, don't put your rules on me. And that's not what Scripture's talking about. And Paul says, look, you have been set free to live a free life. But do not go back and use this freedom, this blank canvas experience, just to go back to the same junk that you came from and be back and enslaved by the same things you were enslaved with before. The third thing, when we're talking about being faithful, how do you be faithful, is walk in balance. So don't add to, don't take away, but walk in balance. He says this in verse 14 and 15. He says this, he said, The entire law is, sur- is summed up in a single command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep on biting and devouring each other, uh, uh, watch out or you'll be destroyed by the other. If you continue to add to and take away, if you continue to throw your rules on, or you just totally live without this, this, uh, this, this cognizant understanding that's by grace that you've been saved, you're going to find yourself in the exact same mess that you've been in before. Now, this is in your notes, and I want you to check this out. When we talk about walking in balance, it's not an absence of laws. But freedom to live life without violating the boundaries that would ultimately cost you your freedom and lead to slavery. When we talk about freedom, when we talk about being faithful, it's not the absence of laws, but it's freedom to live, uh, to, to live without violating the boundaries that would ultimately cost you your freedom and live to slavery. Now, lead to slavery. Now, here's the deal. We're in America. We understand freedom and our rights and all that. And we can live free, free to do a lot of things you want to do. But you can't go kill somebody. And, you, and, and if you see your neighbor, he's got a new car, you can't just jump in and take it for a ride. They're going to pick you up and take you to the pokey. You can't do that, right? You can't just go, I don't want to pay my taxes. Man, I'm free. Don't put your rules on me. The IRS will come and seize everything you own, and then some. So there are rules and laws that are set in place, not to inhibit us, but to allow us to live in freedom. 
That's why God gave us his word. His word gives us the rules and, 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 and the rules of engagement and how for you and I as a creation to live in concert with the creator so that we live this life to freedom. And freedom is not an absence of loss. Freedom is living life in balance. So Paul says, look, you have got this, this freedom. You've got this blank canvas experience. You need to be faithful with that. You need to walk that out with faithfulness. Don't add to it and become legalistic and put all these rules and regulations. And at the same time, don't go, well, who cares, man? I can do what I want to do and God will forgive me. And just go live like the world. That's what you came out of. Walk in balance. Now, balance looks different for every single person. And balance isn't a static issue. Balance is something that's kinetic. It changes. So what's balanced in this season of your life may be unbalanced in another season. And what's balanced in, in a later season of your life may be balanced and, and balanced now. It, balance is something that's relative to where you are. Now let's talk about this because I want to I give you an example of legalism in the 21st century that we deal with. Let's talk about alcohol. Before I get into this, let me say this from the beginning. I'm going to offend about 99% of you today. So just be ready for that. I love you. Okay? But I'm going to offend you anyhow. And if it's not helpful to anybody else, it'll be cathartic to me, okay? It'll be great for me. All right. I had one couple come to me at the end of the service, last service, and said, we're the part of the 1% that you didn't offend. Is there something wrong with us? And I said, no. God bless your souls. You're wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to offend you. I'm just going to let you know. I'm not trying to, but this is what the scripture is about. We're going to talk about alcohol. Now, in America, basically 50% of people in America, on average, drink alcohol. In Wisconsin, it's 70%. The highest, I know, surprise, surprise, the highest state in the union, right? We are the highest drinking state in the union. Now, when you're talking about the subject of alcohol, it's a big issue, not just in the state that we live in or where we live, but it's also a big issue in the church, at Life Church. This is a subject that comes up, and people are trying to figure out how to navigate through this. Now, when you deal with the subject of alcohol, you've got a lot of opinions, and you can just feel the tenseness in the room. Dun, dun, dun. Okay? Now, there's what you would call an adding to or a legalistic approach that would say if you drink alcohol at all, it's a sin. If you have a glass of wine, if you have a beer, it is a sin. It's a sin. You're going to hell. My grandmother... God rest your soul. This is it, man. If you even looked at a liquor store, right? If you even, like, thought about the idea. If you even laughed at a beer commercial, which had me some of the funniest commercials on TV. Oh, you're, it's, you can't even watch sports, son, because there's an alcohol commercial on there. Serious stuff. I, I have family members to, to this day that will not go into a restaurant that serves alcohol. They won't go to a Chili's or an Applebee's. Now, they water ski in blue jeans, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Serious. And I wish I was joking. Okay. Um, but that's called legalism. Because here's what Scripture says. The scripture says that to drink an alcoholic beverage is not a sin. I've already discussed this before, so those of you that have been around, you know, you know, to, to say I'm gonna have a, a glass of wine or a beer, that's there's no sin. You can find you can find nothing in this book. I'm telling you, I looked. There is no sin. Now, but there's this line that goes, this line between, um, between uh, drinking alcoholic beverage and becoming intoxicated. And that's different, again, for every person probably in this room. But the Bible says that when you become intoxicated, you become buzzed, half-lit, smashed, drunk, inebriated, any word you want to use, when you get to that point, you've crossed the line and it's now a sin. 
So at what point do you sin? I don't really know. It's a pretty tough line to define. So I don't try to define it for anybody but for myself. And, and, and how I define it is con- completely abstaining from it altogether. Now, so legalism would say, hey, if you drink at all, it's a sin. But again, that's not scriptural. The license to sin would say, hey, man, just cool your jets. It's no big deal. Just drink, bruh. I mean, there's no sin against having a beer, right? You're just watching the game. There's no sin against having a glass of champagne. It's a wedding. There's no sin against having it's a New Year's toast. Whatever. We have all these crazy, lame excuses on why we do what we do. And, and if you get drunk, man, don't worry. Because God's grace is sufficient. You're not going to go to hell. When the real question isn't, is it lawful or unlawful? Is it permissible or not permissible? The question that Paul says in, in to, when he's speaking to mature believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So there's a thing called balance that says, hey, on this side of the road, this ditch, you know, for every one mile of road, you have two miles of ditch. You know that, don't you? So over here... It's this is it's this viewpoint, and over here, over here, everything's a sin, and over here, everything's permissible. And that's not the question. The question is, is it beneficial in my life? And th- this is a big, big issue because here's the thing: because I, I I have had too many conversations with too many young couples that were getting ready to get married, and they didn't drink, and they gave up drinking out of out of a personal response to God when they gave their life to Christ, and. Uh, but they were having this pressure at, at a wedding to have alcohol. And here's the way the conversation goes. Do we have alcohol or do we not have alcohol? Well, do you drink? You know, I mean, I, I mean, again, it's what the scripture says. You know, you can have a glass of alcohol. It's not a sin. But to get drunk is a sin. And do you drink? Well, no, we don't. But if we don't have alcohol at our wedding, nobody's going to show up. And I'm just going to tell you what I'm playing in my mind. Are you stinking kidding me? Is this a 10th grade all over again? I mean, I feel like I'm going to Chris Carter's house for a party. If you don't bring something, alcohol, nobody's going to like you. Nobody's going to be your friend. And, 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 I'm, and, and I'm just thinking, are, 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 is this really a serious conversation that we're having? Because think about what you're saying. You're saying, first of all, the only reason why people are going to come to your wedding is so that you will pay the bill for them to get smashed. Now, honestly, if you were talking to your child and they were going, Mom, Dad, they won't be my friends if I don't bring alcohol. You would say, you don't need friends like that, honey. But when it comes to a wedding, oh, well, that's a different story, is it? Because the Bible doesn't change. Because I've seen too many people, even in this church, go to a wedding and get half-smashed drunk. Mm, I told you, I'm a, I just ticked off another half of you. Get Lose it. And go, well, it's a wedding, it's a celebration. The Bible doesn't change. We're not talking about a thing, a champagne toast. We're talking about people, dun, 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 dun. Ha! You know, we're talking about people going nuts. So what's the balance? And again, this is an issue because the Bible says, look, to have an alcoholic beverage isn't a sin, but to get drunk is a sin, so where's the line? That's where Bob, the Bible says you've got to walk that out with fear and trembling. Because we're not the sin police. None of us have a right to look at anybody in a restaurant drinking an alcoholic beverage and go, sinner. Because you're a legalist. 
you big crusty Christian? <laughs> but where's that line? Well, I can tell you balance for every person in this room is different. But what I can tell you is, is that as you mature in your faith in Christ, you quit asking the question, what can I get away with and still be saved? And you begin to ask the question, what do I need to do to get closer to Jesus? It's not what's permissible for me to do. It's what's beneficial for me to do. And for myself and for the staff and leadership of this church, we don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. I I made a decision a long time ago. I'm not going to go down that way. And there's many, many reasons. But the biggest thing is it's not beneficial for me. It does nothing for me. And now that I'm raising two daughters, I don't want them to drink. And I, I mean, and, 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 and I have children, and we have these conversations about what this is and what goes on and, and, and how do we define these lines. And again, but, 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 but the thing is, I don't want that. And here's what amazes me in our American culture. We get enraged about the deaths in the Gulf War. And I understand that. I, I get that. It's human life. It's precious fable. But do you realize that this year alone there will be more people that will, dry, will die in alcohol-related accidents in this country that, that will have died in the entire Gulf War? The, the, the entire, this entire war that we're involved in? And nobody gets mad about that. We have politicians. We have We have state-appointed attorneys that can have DUIs, and nobody gets enraged about it. It makes it on the nightly news, then it's off the ticker, and it's on to something else. Why? Because here's the deal is, we have accepted a certain cultural moray, and we've allowed that even to come into our own context in the church. And instead of dividing things and looking at things according to Scripture, we do it according to cultural relevance. And that's very, very, very dangerous. Because we began to change or morph or modify our standards for the world. And that's when the Bible says, come from the world and come out from the world. That you're in it, but you're not of it. It's different. And you go, whoa, 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 so what are you saying? I'm saying this issue, you've got to walk it out. I can't be your judge. I can tell you that I put a buffer in my life. That's why my grandmother would say that it was a sin because she knew there was a buffer line. But again, you can't say that because it's legalism. But the excess, the Bible says it's drunkenness. You go, well, no, I know a drunk. No, we're not, we think drunkenness, we think the wino downtown at the soup kitchen. Drunkenness is becoming intoxicated on alcohol. And the Bible says that there's a special place in hell for people who are drunks. Whether you get drunk once a year, or every month, or every week, or you're half buzzed sitting in here now. Again, I didn't write it. I just made the other group of the people in this room mad. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. So we have to figure this out. And this becomes the issue that we deal with. If Paul was writing this to the church in Germantown or the church in Wisconsin or the church in the United States, he may use alcohol instead of circumcision because this is of contemporary significance to us. And, And I say that because sometimes we can read the Bible and circumcision isn't even a conversation that we have. So you've got to bring some significance to it to go, well, what, what is he meaning by that? This is, what he's t- this is the kind of thing he's talking about. That God calls us to be faithful. Understand this. We've been given this blank canvas. We've been given this grace, not so we can go out and live the way we want to live, but so we find ourselves faithful before God, so that we, we faithfully serve God, so we faithfully love God, so that we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Faithful. Faithful. 
God asks and requires of us as Christ followers to be faithful. The second thing we do with the blank canvas experience is be fruitful. Be fruitful. That's what the rest of the chapter talks about. Because our lives are like a work of art. They're on display. And we're not only just to be faithful. We talk a lot about faithfulness in church, but the Bible talks a lot about fruitfulness. So let, let's read. Well, there, there, let me back up. There's two, two components to being faithful. And this is in your notes. One is you've got to cut the flesh. How are you fruitful in your life? You have to cut the flesh. And, and here's what he says about that in, in uh, verse 16 through verse 21. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's contrary to the sinful nature. And they're in conflict. That's the reason why the things that you don't want to do, you do, and the things you do want to do, you have a hard time doing. It's not because you're a sorry person. It's not because you're weak. It's because it's this conflict between the flesh and the Spirit. Our bodies can be, our lives can be dichotomized between flesh and and spirit, and there's this war going on between the two of them. Verse 18, but you are led by the spirit and not under the law. The acts of sinful nature are obvious, and, and basically it's so obvious that he just gives you a short list, but here they are. Sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage, whether it's intercourse or whether it's oral sex, it's sex. Impurities, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, again, there it is, uh, um, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's talk about this just for a second. When he says to cut the flesh, he says these are the things you've got to cut out of your life. And things are like this. So, so, so there's two parts to cutting the flesh. And this isn't in your notes. But this is for free. One is you have to make a decision to stop sinning. I know that sounds real elementary. But you've got to make a cognitive decision that you are going to stop sinning. That you don't want this anymore. And can I tell you, if you're not ready to stop sinning, don't give your life to Christ. If you're not ready to quit, quote-unquote, sowing your wild oats, don't give your life to Christ. If you're not ready to quit running around, quit drinking and, and doing your carousing and doing all of your stuff that you're doing, then don't come to Jesus. But, and, and this isn't my idea. It was Jesus' idea. In and, and, and Revelation chapter 3, he says, I want you to be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, if you're riding the fence, if you're a hypocrite, if you're a Sunday morning Christian, I will spit you, vomit you, throw you up out of my mouth. That's how sick you and repulsing you are to Christ. I didn't write it. That's what he says. He said, I'd much rather you either live in the world or totally live for me. But if you're just going to play this halfway game, just get out. And again, nobody's a judge of that except for God and you because you know your heart. I can't judge that. The church can't judge that. This is why we can't be legalists. Because, because at the end of the day, I can't put my rules on you. It's not my goal. It's not my job. It's not my place. So you've got to make a decision to quit sinning. And the second thing you've got to do when you're talking about cutting the flesh, you have to begin to develop the spirit. And you have to understand, there's a spirit man and there's a flesh man inside of you. And you might have been serving, serving this flesh for the last 20 years of your life, and all of a sudden you give your life to Christ. He's not going to go away tomorrow. It, there's this process. So you've got, to begin to, you've got to begin to develop the spirit. So that leads me to the second thing when we talk about being fruitful. Not only do you cut the flesh, but you've got to cultivate the spirit. You've got to cultivate the spirit. How do you do that? Well, let's read verse 22 through verse 25, and we're going to talk about that. 
It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good stuff. Against these things, there's no law, just freedom. And those who belong to Christ have been crucified, and they've crucified the sinful nature and its passions and its desires. You've made a decision to quit sinning. Since we live by the Spirit, let us stay in step with the Spirit. You're going to develop the Spirit. And let us not become conceited and provoking and envying each other. So how do you cultivate the Spirit of God? Again, this isn't in your notes. This is for free. But I want to spend our last few minutes talking about this today. How do you cultivate the Spirit of God? How do you cultivate this? Because the Bible says that when you cultivate the Spirit, you will crucify the flesh. When you, when you play to your strengths with the Spirit, you will totally annihilate the flesh. You want to quit sinning? Here's the deal. Uh, there's a secular writer named Barkus Buckingham, and he talks about, and it's a lot of human resource material, but he talks about how that in life we totally are wired to try to minimize our weaknesses. So we just try to work on our weaknesses. Like if you're not good in math in school, then let's just get better in math. But the reality is, even if you work your rear end off in math, you're still not ever going to be an A student in math. You're just going to be maybe a C student. But you're great in English and language arts. So what begins to happen is we spend all of our time on our weaknesses, and we basically take that D, F level of math, and we bring it up to a C, but we're an A-plus student over here in, 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 in language arts and in English, but because we've been spending so much time on our weaknesses, we start slipping over here, and everything becomes average in our life, and we wonder why we don't excel. And the real reason is, is because don't ever try to just work on your weaknesses, play to your strengths. What are you good at? Play to your strengths. Yeah, you've got to minimize those as best you can, your weaknesses, but play to your strengths. And this is what the Spirit's saying. This is what the Word of God's saying, that when you begin to develop and cultivate the Spirit, it will naturally crucify. Oh, nah, I didn't mean to get that. It will naturally crucify the flesh. It will naturally knock it out every time. How does it work? Well, it works just like this. These are some things to cultivate the Spirit. First of all, you've got to remember you're in a spiritual struggle. You have to remember you're in a spiritual struggle. And again, I'm not talking like Star Wars, Battlestar, Galactica, you know, whatever. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about we live life on a natural plane, but there's a spiritual level. There's a spiritual plane that is, is not seen by our physical eyes, but is very real. And the Bible talks all about that. Uh, and, uh, and so we've got to realize and recognize we don't just live life in this physical plane. We live life in a spiritual plane. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this spiritual warfare that we're in, that we wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and everything that exalts the same for the name of the power and the glory of God. There is a spiritual deal going on. Don't think that everything is just physical, that everything is just what it is. There is a spiritual level. So you've got to remember you're in a warfare. Now, the second thing you have to do when you're cultivating the Spirit is you've got to realize it's up to you to fight. God's not going to fight for you. It is up to you to fight. Now, again, 
you you've got you got you 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 got to remember you you've you've got you're in this spiritual warfare and it's up to you to fight and God's given you the armor of God. Why do you, that's how we know God wants us to fight? Because Ephesians chapter six goes on to say, but the armor of God is the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the loins girded about with the spirit of, with the spirit of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of readiness by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword which is the word of God. And we're ready to go into battle. And what's interesting about the armor of God is that there's no back guard, there's no tailbone guard, there's no anything that covers your backside. Why? Because as a Christ follower, you are never designed for defense. You were always designed for offense. That's good stuff. You're designed to win. You're designed to advance. You're never created to retreat or surrender. You're designed to play life in the sweet spot, in the miracle zone. You're designed to put points on the board every single time. That's how you're designed to be. Well, why don't we always? Well, because there's a thing called sin that kind of jacks everything up. And that's why we've got to destroy that. But we're in this battle. And God has created you and created me to win and to move forward. And you've got to remember that. Because sometimes you go, well, I'm just stupid, and I just don't get this thing, and this Christian thing's really hard because the things I don't want to do, I do. No, it just says it right here. The reason why that is is because there is a sin nature in you, and there's a spirit nature in you. And the way that you kill the, 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 the sin nature is by elevating, by cultivating the spiritual nature. Play to your strengths. Don't try to meet. You know, it, trying to just deal with sin just by sheer grit would be like going, okay, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to go to a bar. And I'm just going to sit there and see how long. How long before I have to have a drink? That's stupid. Avoid the bar. Right? Food. Let's talk about food for a minute. If you have a struggle with food, I don't. I gave in a long time ago. Do not go to a buffet and try to practice portion control. It doesn't work. <laughs> now, some of you laugh, but you're going to a buffet for lunch. I'll probably see you there. But you see what I'm saying? Because the deal is you just go, you know, I, I can't do this. That's insanity. When Tiger Woods won the British Open, he has a horrible game out of, out of the sand traps. And that St. Andrews is notorious for their sand traps. He won the Open not by improving his weakness, his sand game. He won the Open by strategically placing the ball to avoid the traps. He played to his strengths. Play to your strengths. Your strength isn't your weakness. Your strength is your spirit. Your strength isn't your flesh. That's your weakness. Quit trying to be Superman and superhero and do it. Quit trying to do that. Play to the spirit and it will naturally crucify the flesh. See, we've been taught all our lives, just, just pray, just get, uh, uh, just more time at the altar, just, uh, just hang on to the horns of the altar, whatever that is. And, uh, but I just, no. Play to the Spirit. So how do you do that? By having a healthy, heavy diet of the things of God. First of all, the Word of God. This is going to sound old-fashioned, but this is true. You need one of these. I'm going to say something just to kind of help you out because I'm really going to nail this subject in January 1. I already know what I'm preaching. And that is, we put the words up on the screens, not for the Christ followers that are here every week, but for the people who are brand new. If you're a Christian, you should have a Bible with you at church. I know that's a brand new thought. 
Wow, that goes together. Like peanut butter and jelly, it does. You should have a Bible. Bring it. Why? Because you need to be able to open it and follow along as I'm walking through the text. Most of my messages are expository, which means I'm taking a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to drill that passage of Scripture, and I'm going to pull out the principles, the precepts, and the practices from that Scripture. Why? Because I want you to develop biblical literacy so when you go back to that, you know what it says. So you know what you do? You begin to take a highlighter in one, pen, in one hand and a pen in the other, and you... I know some of you, this is going to be hard for you. You write in your Bible. Can I tell you, this isn't the only copy in the world. You don't have the original one. You need it. Why? Just the same way you would take a textbook and you mark it up. Why? Because life, you're going to be tested on this stuff every day of life, so mark it up. I mean, I have, and I know some of you are, are technology buffs, and so you, you've got it on your phone. That's cool. I've got, I've got an, an, uh, an app on my iPhone for the Bible. I've got, a, I've got the Bible on my Kindle and, me, and multiple versions. I've got multiple paper copies. But I do this. I feast on the Word. Why? Because this will never return empty. This is God's spoken Word to me. This tells me how to live. I've told you, many of you, more out of this passage of Scripture than you even knew was there. Well, yeah, but you have this gifting. No, I don't. I take this, and I read it, and I pray over it, and I process it, and I get commentaries, and I marinate on it, and I think about it, and I look at it and go, what is that saying to me? What's this saying to me? What's this saying to me? The Holy Spirit's the one that begins to give you illumination and insight off of God's Word. Gentlemen, let me talk to you. When I'm on a business trip, and I travel quite a bit, I take this book with me. You want me to tell you why? Because when the desires of Satan come in, when you're sitting in your hotel room at night, or you're alone, you've been away from your wife for a while, and all of a sudden there's stuff that could be on television, and things you could be doing, I open up the Word, man, it begins to cut through all of that. Why? Because I'm not going to try to destroy my, my, my fleshly nature and of myself. I'm going to take the Spirit and the Word of God, and I'm going to begin to just pour over this Word, and it feeds me, and it, and it crucifies every bit of that sin or that desire. Listen, we're all, we all have feet of clay. Let's just be real honest. Now, I can tell you with integrity, there's no gross sin or immorality in my life. There's no known sin in my life that I know of anything. Maybe I, 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 I don't, can't remember of anything, but, but you know, because I constantly feed on this word. And this word brings conviction to my life, and it brings comfort to my life. And when I find that I've crossed the line, I say, oh, God, help me. Feed on the word of God. Take this Walk through it. Read it. And it's not one of those things you can read it for one time and you get done with it. I wish it was that way. I wish that you could just read it and be done. It's a daily exercise. It's a discipline sometimes. Sometimes it's a delight. Sometimes it's a discipline. Sometimes it's a chore. Sometimes I don't like reading the Bible. You ever felt like that? Surely no, not you. You're life church people. Mm. Second thing when you talk about having a healthy diet of the things of God is pray. Pray and process. That's been a new phrase for me. Pray and process. I'm a thinker. I'm constantly, I got some ideas, spinning some, something in my head all the time. And so as I begin to feed on the God's word, I'll begin to pray. And the same way, like if you had a stressful day and you go do about 35 minutes worth of cardio, which I do about twice a year, I'd help, I'd advise it to you. No, actually, I do go to the gym regularly. It's just I, I eat insatiably. That's my problem. <laughs> Serious, I've been to the gym four days this week and ran my 5K every day. And oh, dude. Oh, it's that Chinese buffet. It keeps getting me. Anyhow, 
The deal is, but pray and process. Because just like cardio will give you a, a release from stress that you're dealing with, a time of prayer will relieve the spiritual issues that are happening in your life, and you'll commune with God. And process those things out and think about those things. And it begins to grow and develop. Because I hear sometimes people say, well, uh, you know, I, I need to be, you know, uh, I, I'm just not getting fed. Can I tell you, 90% of the problems that, that the church deals with is not, it's not the world. It's crusty Christians in the church. So I just said it. I've been in another section of you. I'm sorry. Sorry that you're crusty. Okay, anyhow. But... Um, <laughs> But the deal is, is that because what happens is, is we expect for the pastor to spoon feed us. I have two kids. And they both know where the pantry is and where the refrigerator is. And they have no problem feeding themselves. Matter of fact, if we go through to clean their rooms, I mean, they, they're like pack rats. They're, there's wrappers and things and all kinds of crevices and corners because they think the Mayan calendar is going to end early. And the year 2012 is actually going to happen next week. And Unless you're a baby, you don't need to be fed. You can feed yourself. Novel concept. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? You too can spiritually feed yourself. Because if you read scripture, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. My job is never to feed you. That's your job as a Christ follower, to be fed. Now again, I'm giving you some pretty good, I mean, like this weekend is like Eddie Martini's filet mignon, about a 16 ounce with a loaded baked potato on the side and some skillet fried corn. Come on with me. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And some of their fresh bread. Some of you are going to go, I don't know what that is. I'm telling you it's the best steak in town. I'm giving that to you this morning. But you got to eat it. But when you begin to pray and process, God begins to work in your life. And that need to be fed is that God's feeding you. And he's the one that's working in your life. And the last thing is, act on the word. Act on the word. Don't just read the word. Don't just pray about the word, but act on the word. You want to grow your spiritual man? Act on the word. The Bible says the great commission, the greatest thing you can do as a Christ follower is to go into the world world and preach and teach the gospel. That's the greatest thing you can do as a Christ follower. How many of you are doing that? See, we go, well, I'm just kind of thinking, God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? Just get up off your butt and do something. Let me give you the Greek version of that. Get up off your butt and do something. Because here's the deal. is We're not designed to sit soaking sour. That's what happens when we just sit. We become complacent. We become full of ourselves. We become these pompous, arrogant, full of ourselves, condescending Christians that are just day-old crusty. Well, I'll tell you what. I just blah, blah, blah. Well, who asked you? Blah, 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 blah. Take this and put it into action. You see somebody in your neighborhood, they've lost a job, do something to help them. You see someone and, 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 and you, they're down to one car and it's a beater and you've got an extra. Maybe you don't have an extra. Maybe you just give them, maybe you've got two good cars. You give them a car. Do it in the name of the Lord. You see someone who's in need, meet the need. Well, I, I didn't get myself in that. Who? I, just do something. I'm telling you, when I was in Bible college, I hit a point. I hit a wall 
that I was about to lose it. Because I was sitting in this theological environment where the Bible was the textbook and everybody was pontificating and exegeting. Those were the, oh, those big spiritual theological terms. And about the kenosis theory of Christ. Did he completely devoid himself of his divinity or did he pick it up? And how exactly did this work? And blah, 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 blah. And every chapel speaker, well, I just don't know if I theologically think. And, da, 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 da. and you had teachers that couldn't do anything in life so they'd go teach and talk to us about a bunch of 21-year-old, young, impressionable kids. And we were all so stinking full of ourselves. And I was up to here. I was drowning in it. And I called a friend of mine who was an evangelist, and I said, man, I am about to drown in this. I have lost perspective on why I'm here, what I'm doing. What do I do? And he said, Aaron, Saturday morning I want you to get up early, and I want you to take a walk. And I want you to go to Southwest Missouri State University, a big secular university in town. And he said, I want you to walk across the campus on Fraternity and Sorority Row, Fraternity Row right there. And it'll bring you back to center. So I did it. And the smell of vomit on the sidewalk and kids passed out. And the reality of a lost world of people that were trying to find happiness and freedom in the American dream. And a bunch of overcompensated young adults brought me smack dab into reality. And got me out of that little Christian bubble and cocoon called Bible college. I, I did that regularly. Because I was dying on the inside. Because I was around all these Christians. I, Christians get on my nerves sometimes. And I just, confessions of a pastor, I'm just telling you right now. And um, I would go downtown. He said, there's a center square. And this isn't really known, but there's, there's, there's homeless people. And transients. Go to the grocery store, buy a loaf of bread, get a pound of bologna, and hand out sandwiches. So I'd do that. Because I had to keep myself real. I, I had to do something. Because preaching in homiletics class wasn't cutting it. And serving on some Christian board at the school wasn't going to work. Because we weren't doing anything but talking about how good we all were. He said, go to Victory, to the outreach. And help families coming in that don't have the money to buy clothes. Help them find clothes that will fit their children. And remember that that's what Jesus died for. Do something. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you rake your neighbor's lawn. I don't care if you shovel their snow. I don't care if you help them. I don't care if you get church credit for it or if it's an official life church ministry or not. Find something to do and do it. Because when you do that, a holy God will begin to flow through your life to touch someone else and purpose will be created. Because in the end, God gives us a blank canvas. Because we're to be faithful unto him, but we're also to be fruitful. We will stand before God and we will give an account of our influence and our affluence and what we use to do with our influence and our affluence and how we leverage that for the kingdom of God. And you can marginalize that, you can rationalize that any way you want to, but I'm telling you, that's the bottom line. That's how to win in this world and that's how to have something to give to God on the other side. Because God's created all of us to be this work of art this masterpiece. And we do that by being faithful and by being fruitful. Let's pray. Father.